0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to People Add Value Experience. Today, I'm exceptionally honored to have a guest on this session, and his name is Tyler Fuller. Great to be with y'all. Yes. Thank you, Tyler, for coming on. I'm really excited. So today we're going to be discussing a little bit about his background and really diving into fostering, adopting some resources, some training as he is an instructor for some training So this is going to be an amazing episode for those folks that are either looking into it or, you know, maybe have already fostered or adopted and looking for some additional resources and how to enhance your relationships um, with your children uh, or child in whatever instance. And if you have other folks that, you know, that you know that have done fostering, adopting and helping them out. So, again, just really want to jump in. So if you haven't already, uh, please like and subscribe. Um, or follow, depending on how you're consuming this: YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. So, Tyler, first and foremost, thank you very much again. We really appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, but I'd like to just know a little bit more about you and your and your background, and sort of just leading up to uh, to how you got here in uh, in Florida.
1: Yeah. So um, I grew up in the Panhandle of Florida. We're recording right now in Niceville, Florida. It's culturally, it's Alabama, right? And so I was <laughs> born and raised here. If you know our area, you know that's that's how it goes. Um, and it was a small town. Like when I grew up, this is the the best way to put it, if you know our town now. it's Now you know it because it's near 30A and it's all these really sexy beaches and all that. Um, but when I was coming up, the main uh, shop on our strip was a taxidermy shop where like you would take your deer and they would stuff it. It ain't like that now. <laughs> uh, and so I came up in this little town, had kind of a traditional family, two parents and, and for a while. And then uh, my sister, an older sister um i had uh i was never really good at sports to this day like I had a lazy eye and i'm just it's not who i am but it is who this town is and so i was kind of like felt like a misfit like can't catch a baseball don't care i've never watched a college football game like it's just <laughs> it's never been who i am and so that always put me in a place in our time where i just kind of felt like a misfit and for me the place where i found like my my identity and like my fit and my community and my people uh was in like youth group culture i came up in a church and so Uh, You know, I was baptized when I was a baby and I was like in Sunday school and I was the second best at memorizing Bible verses or whatever because I'm not a super hard worker. Like I'm not going to be the number one, you know? (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, that's, I kind of came up in a church and that was like formative for for me and super helpful, which by the way, I'm a pastor. So like (laughs) there's some context there. Awesome. Um, And so that kind of became a a formative for me and part of my identity. And then at the same time, uh, Leslie, at that time, Leslie Schmidt, uh, she moved here. Her parents were military. This is a military town we're in. Uh, she came in in about fourth grade, uh, and she she lives about a mile from where we're recording right now. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Coming up. Wow, yeah. wow. And so did I. Actually, we live about a mile apart. That's crazy. Yeah, and so um, she and I uh, had known each other for a long, long time. But we're one of these stories where I asked her to go to my my senior prom, like when I'm in, I'm 17 years old. And that was like our first date. You know, we'd known each other for a while, but mm-hmm. I asked her out. We go to we go to prom. Um, and then we kind of start dating. And then I went to her prom and she's a year younger than me. Uh, I go to her prom and that was in nineteen ninety-nine and we're married so like that's that's our story wow we're high school sweethearts like we never broke up we had a long distance relationship pre-cell phones long distance relationship that's a different so was kind that of some like handwritten letter stuff or oh yeah 100 percent. Wow. i kept them all oh that's you know. so cool uh-huh. <laughs> we're doing this thing oh man yeah your older audiences will understand this <laughs> Phone cards, you know, where you pay 20 bucks oh, yeah. at Walmart and you're like, oh, you got a hundred minutes on the phone yeah. because we don't pay long distance. We don't have cell phones. I kept all those phone cards, just got a stack of them. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. It was helpful for us. Uh, and also just we're kids when we're dating. So having that distance where we had to really learn to communicate uh, was a big deal for us. Dude. And so eventually I go off to, to college. I lived here in in this town my whole life in the, in the panhandle, kind of backwoods. It's not anymore, but it was. Uh, and then i went to college in st augustine florida uh to study I, i'm a philosophy religion major i have a youth ministry minor i was always going to go into ministry so i ca- i kind of like a call to ministry and this will get into my foster care story as well um in my whole life like i'm 42 years old and i'm a pastor like i tell people for a living like uh developing spiritual lives is part of what i do in my whole life in 42 years there's been two instances where i really feel like i heard a thing from god that was for me like two I know people that say like every day they're hearing from Mm -hmm. God, God bless them. (laughs) It ain't me. I'm working real hard though, you know? Um, And so, so two instances in my life where I really felt like there was a a thing that God had called me to do. The first was this call to ministry. I'm like 14 or 15 years old. And I just knew like, this is the thing I'm going to do. And it, for me, it's, it's it. That's what I've been doing. Uh, So I went to college to become a youth minister. Uh, and that's what I did for a long, long time. I'm I'm a missions pastor now, which isn't it's not a common term. The best way to think of it is like I run. We're we're like a large multi site mega church where I work, and I basically run all the parts of our church that look like uh, nonprofit work. I'm like the United Way of our church. <laughs> um, it's amazing. It's yeah. the best job. Yes. So the first the first time I really felt like I heard a thing from God, one number one of two total ever. Uh, was this thing about a call to ministry, which is how I get to college in Flagler? I went to just a regular school, not a, a Christian school, which was great for me. Uh, but the second thing I ever heard in my life where I really felt like it was a call on my life, a thing that I was built and designed to do, uh, was adoption. And uh, Leslie, the same way, before we were married, like when we're dating, we both had some sense that adoption would be part of our story. And like we knew nothing, you know, we don't know what that means, we don't know how it works. We just, all we knew was like, this is going to be part of who we are, Mm -hmm. uh, whether we get married or not. It was just kind of, it's been embedded in us. It's like, it's in our bones. Um, and so that's been a background process for us, our whole lives and our whole relationship. I graduated college, uh, and got, we got married. (laughs) This, this is like old school stuff. Also like evangelical culture stuff as well. We get married. I'm 21 years old. She's 20. So like we didn't drink at that time, but if we did, she couldn't have toasted at our <laughs> wedding. <laughs> um, but that's twenty years ago. Like here we are, running strong, you know, doing doing the thing. Um, so we got married out of college. I go into youth ministry, and she becomes a teacher. Both of us love working with kids. Again, like this is it's built into who we are. It's like it's in our DNA, right? And um, we spend years doing that. Eventually, I go to seminary, um, and all the while we're talking both about having kids biologically but also we're always talking about adoption never not part of the conversation Mm -hmm. but also we got married when we're children like if you know anything about human development like we we literally were not fully developed when we got married we had about five years left before our brains were fully formed so um so we went a while before we wanted to have kids because we were self-aware enough to know we're young and this is, this is all pretty early. Let's like be young people who are married. So I do, I do have a quick question. Yeah, so it. did
0: your, your parents, like both sides mm-hmm. were like, Hey, go for it. Or was there a little bit of hesitation on one side or the other? This is all pre bringing in our parents. <laughs> this is a just us chatting. Like, no, dude. no, I meant as far as like getting married oh, at 21 married. and 20. So were they, were they like, Oh, you guys are really young. Or is this again, like <laughs> you said, part of that growing up in the
1: church and having that understanding. Mm-hmm. Is that, is
0: that where they came from?
1: Um, I would say that both of our sets of parents were enthusiastic about who we were mm. like, you know, we were both trying to live like quality lives and do the right things. And we were trying to treat each other. Well, like we don't have one of these stories where we broke up every six months and we had to work through like learning to not be toxic people. Right. We just kind of were lucky to be relatively healthy. Like we've grown a lot since then. Isn't mm. marriage is hard. Yeah. Like, it, it just is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's true for us. It's hard for us as well. Very hard. Very hard. Um, but we did have for for teenagers for kids we had a remarkably healthy relationship with each other and so i guess the best way to put it is they did not oppose it in any way but both sides would have preferred she wasn't done with college like both of us would have preferred you know why not why not a couple more years right but for us like we've been dating 4 years right it doesn't matter that the first year i was 17 years old like that's still a long time sure and so we felt ready and like you know as a dad, are your kids ever ready for the thing that they're doing huh. right now? <laughs> no, nope. you know? put them back in the bubble. Exactly. <laughs> Probably not. Like our kids are always three steps away ahead of where we want them to be, right. and we—that's certainly the case for us. Right. So I would say they were supportive, but um, but it's not—it's not what they would have done had they made the the story. But it's also for us, like we're kids. It's our first real step out. Like this is it. We're you know we're doing the thing. Right. I got it. I went down to sit with my mom and I'm like, my parents are divorced at this time. I'm sitting down with my mom and I'm like, Hey, how much does it cost to be married? Cause I got to know like what kind of, I'm a youth ministry major, like philosophy major. What money will I, that's the only question. Not should I get married? Not is Leslie the right person. Like, can I have enough dollars? <laughs> and so we made this whole little list. Like how much does insurance cost? How much does rent cost? Wow. I don't know. You can cut this if you want. At that time, we did all the math. It was like if you if I could make $24,000 a year, I could probably afford to be alive with another person like who's in college. <laughs> That's so great. That's um, so great. And so when I graduated, uh there was not I didn't have a lot of prospects for jobs. Philosophy is not a super hot field right now like or even in 1999 mm. or whatever. So I go to work in the kitchen at Chick-fil-A and there was two kitchen managers, both philosophy majors. <laughs> Very thoughtful kitchen. <laughs> Oh the conversations <laughs> exactly. And, and when I when I set up that that job or whatever, the the guy who runs the stores is like, he wants to keep me on. I'm trying to do ministry, and so I don't want to stay there. He wants to keep me on. He's like, "What's it gonna take? And I just had this conversation with my mom. I was like, it's gonna take twenty four thousand dollars. <laughs> and this is crazy. and and health insurance for both of us because Leslie's like a part-time cashier. So she's like a twenty-hour-a-week person making minimum wage at that time. It was probably eight bucks an hour with full health insurance at Chick Fil A. Right, that so was a good deal for us, and that was like the key piece. I'm pretty Wait, conservative. So did he? Did he pull? Like he's like, yep, he did. He was wow. a new businessman. Wow. And so he he uh, he didn't love the deal he made. Like he like two years later, he's like, hey, <laughs> how do you feel about Leslie not getting health insurance? <laughs> I was like, how do you feel about us not working here? <laughs> wow yeah so it was a while uh but again like this amount of certainty i had it's been like a blessing and a curse for me like yeah high-minded high, high ideals mm-hmm. uh a little bit of an egomaniac all of that's in play here and so i was never should i get married is leslie the right person can i get married mm-hmm. it's like i have to know that i can support my family here and he he put the number on the table like that's that and wow. so we got married and um and yeah so we waited a long time to have kids because we knew we were young and she finished school and we did young married stuff Like we went to hawaii that that ain't gonna happen again for a while we're super glad we did it right um and we just kind of grew up and and established like what does it look like for us to be a family independent of each other we're still in saint augustine both of our families are still here in the panhandle Mm -hmm. and um maybe six or seven years into our marriage we started talking more seriously about having kids and Again, simultaneous conversations. We know we want to have kids, and we'll, we mean biologically when we say that. But we also know that adoption is is part of who we're going to be. And so, how, what's our first step here? Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I ended up finishing seminary, moving back to our hometown. So we're back in the Panhandle. Both of our parents are here, and uh, we had our first kid biologically. That was like a decision we made. We know we wanted to to be in the adoption world eventually, but let's let's do this biologically first. Mm-hmm. So. We had a biological child, and it was great, and she's amazing, and, and you know, it's it's the best. And I, even then, I was I'm young, and so we're learning. Like, okay, now I've been young, married for a while. What does it look like to be a father? Right, and your time is Little everything. Family, is, Little yeah, family it's all grown. different. Yes, yeah. uh, Was I ready? Probably not. <laughs> you know, is anybody? Uh, no, yeah, no, no. And if you think you are, you know, oh boy. God bless the you. funny
0: story is uh, the guy I work... So at Cubicle Farm. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy right, right across from me, he has a standing desk. So I see his head. It's very much like, you know, Tim Allen and the neighbor. Yeah. Like Heidi Ho, that mm-hmm. whole thing. So we're chatting and he's and he's like... He just has this concern. He's a very quiet guy, but we always laugh. And he has almost like a quiet internal laugh and his face gets real red. So we're talking, and, but I see his face. I'm like, hey, man, what's wrong? Like he just had a kid. Uh, two months old, I think. And we're talking and... And he's like, man, it's pattern, pattern recognition. I'm like, pattern, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm trying to determine when he's crying, if it's, you know, milk or diaper or sleep. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I said, listen, like, you know what I do? I get kid If a kid's crying, I put them on the bed. I give them, you know, milk or whatever formula, whatever it is, change the diaper, put them in my arms see if their eyes start to close or put them in the pack and play and then they're out. So you're covering all three within like a three minute period and then you're good. (laughs) But I, I felt so like he's such an, like his brain is such a high like analyst and he's so worried about that. And I think that just reflects like every parent is just like um, there was a a young Sheldon uh, Riley, my oldest likes to watch young Sheldon and the younger or the, the oldest son who's very young though is having his first kid. And, it's like the old station wagon, so he's trying to put a car seat in, and he's, like, he, he's putting his knee in the car seat and pulling the seatbelt closed, and, like, I mean, I've done that before. Like, I I thrust my knee, and I'm, like, pulling those in, the, the latches, you know, just to make sure. So, it's always interesting to hear, and I, I don't know if anyone's ever, you can read as many books or, or
1: babysit, but until you have your own kid, you just you're never really truly ready. Absolutely. And even after you have your kid, you're not ready. That's true
0: too. <laughs> that is right. And,
1: you know, fast forward a bit, like this will be the second half of the podcast. The question that your, your engineer-brained cubicle partner is asking is like, what's the need here? He really wants to understand like, what does my baby need and how can I meet that need? Well, that's the right question to ask. That's right. It's super hard to answer, especially when the baby is pre, preverbal. verbal. Right. Um, so I love your approach is like, I don't know what the need is. I'm giving, I'm doing it all. <laughs> it's the blanket <laughs> approach. Probably not the best all the time, but it's, it's worked thus far. Right. With Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Because the heart there is like my, my child's expressing a need. How do I meet this need? And as a dad, like, you know, some, some of us, are blessed with a with a great intuition and just know i was not and so i'm like you like okay the baby needs a couple things let's just let's just do them all I just, <laughs> i'm gonna do my best here blanket at all well it's funny because our, our little guy who just turned one
0: um like the other night like he was waking like some nights he'll he'll be fine he'll wake up maybe once twice and he's you know like also oh teething like you don't know oh like teething that's why because they've been sleeping for like months what's going on oh they start teething or um, for some reason, like he's starting to get right into more milk and out of the formula, and so like he had a lot of digestive issues when he was younger, and so I pick him up and I'll burp him like after the fact, and it's like you know a couple of what, what, twice, and then next thing you know he's ready for bed. So it's it's such a trial and error. I mean, honestly, because everyone all, all children are different too. Like, I mean, and that's, that's the variation here is like, Oh my goodness. Like every child, we've tried something. Nope. And then, okay, what's next? Because that didn't work. It worked on these two children, but for some reason, not that child. So it's mm-hmm. just so, so interesting.
1: Yeah. And it's why, you know, I'm a dad too. And I really, really wanted to to do it right. Like I really want to be a great dad. Um, and so I'm the same, same way as your engineer buddy. Like, I'm like, let me read the right books and I'll know the right information and if I press these buttons in this order, like I will be a good dad. <laughs> and you know, so if, it, if only it was so simple. Right. Like every kid is different. We're all different. We're we're all dealing with situations we've never encountered before. Uh, and, and so you have to kind of b- build the bridge while you're crossing it. You know, 100. percent It's very much an art and a science. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's.
0: I don't think it's one of the or you know art philosophical. Like it's it's very much mm-hmm. a combination of
1: both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably like three times a week. I'm saying I say like we're playing jazz, which means like there's some structure here and and I know how the things work, I but love also that analogy. I don't know what's
0: next. I love that analogy. That is it's probably a little inappropriate, but have you ever seen the movie called Whiplash?
1: I didn't see Whiplash. I know I'd love it because I'm a drummer.
0: So good. I mean, there's there's some high level cursing, but it's yeah, like Miles uh, Miles Tyler, Teller, Miles Tyler, because he plays in Maverick, but he's playing some really good movies. And then J.K. Rowling. um Who's the best? Um, and he like, oh man! In that movie, it is, it is. But it's psychological. That's where mm-hmm. I think you'd really like mm-hmm. that part. Is it's a lot of psychological with a lot of awesome drumming. Mm-hmm. So, so you guys, uh, uh, just to recap here, both grew up in the local area, went off to college, experienced long uh, distance relationship. Um, use some of the old school, uh, writing, uh, had the phone cards, which I'm very familiar with being right. Deploying. And we didn't have that either. And you go travel and you have to scratch off that stuff and get everywhere. And yeah. then, <laughs> and then use that. Um, so, and that's really cool that your parents, um, bought off on that for, for younger folks. Cause I think that's a little bit different, uh, uh-huh. just nowadays. And some people are like, okay, I got it. And then sometimes later the parent accepts it sometimes doesn't. Um, and then growing up, you know, in in the church and having that mindset, y'all were both thinking about adoption way long before it even became the time. And then, how long did you say it, you were married before you had your biological kiddo? How long was it? Seven that? years, like Seven that. years. Okay, so seven years. Uh, pulled the chocks, <laughs> uh-huh. pulled the trigger, if you will. Uh, had the kiddo, um, your oldest kiddo, and then okay, so so that's where we're at. So you had the oldest yeah. kiddo. So so what's next? So then.
1: Again, uh, I have good plans at this point in my life. Like, okay, I know I'm raising this baby. I'm learning things. I'm an awesome dad. This is going to come back later. Like, it's foreshadowing because, like, <laughs> you don't know what you don't know. Right. I got this thing covered. Like, I got a baby. I love the baby. It feels great to have a baby. Uh, I'm figuring stuff out. It's going great. And so my plan always um, was, like, let's have a baby biologically and let's adopt one. And we're going to have two kids. And if we have a girl biologically, we're going to adopt a boy and we'll have both kinds. You know, like, right. this is very simple. Like, we, you know, like the, where we ended up. So like, this is yeah. funny to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This, by the way, is not how my family ended up. <laughs> and so we're like, yeah, so we had the one biological. It's a girl. Let's go ahead and find out what it takes to adopt a boy. Right. And um, I don't want to go too deep in this, but there's a, there's a lot of ways to learn all of this. But we go... Th- we knew nothing except like we had this sense of calling. Like this is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're built to do. It's a right thing to do. We knew all this. But we don't know how it works. And so we kind of go in the research phase like uh we know that we want to adopt a kid. We know we want we don't to, to be a boy. How do you adopt a kid? Um you know you'd put a sign in the yard or like <laughs> And so we start just doing the research. and Let's so go put something in everyone's mailbox. Like, exactly. hey, if you know someone. Yeah. Uh, boy, please. Uh, <laughs> hey, kid, you look cute. Yeah, yeah. Where's your mom and dad? Nowhere around? Huh. <laughs> That's right. Here. And so, um, in fact, this is probably why some people have come to this episode. Like, if, if we're tagged as adoption and foster care, mm-hmm. there are definitely people who are at this phase, like the research phase. Right. So here's the very, very short and, and dirty explanation. There's three ways that you can adopt a kid into your family. The first is international adoption. And so we learn about how that works. Uh, It's unbelievably complicated, and it's like all adoption. It's beautiful, and it's messy, and it's broken, and Mm. it's complicated. Uh, It's all the things. Um, If you're thinking about international adoption, uh, I care a lot about doing it in countries that have Hague approval. Like That's a really big part of it. Um, because international adoption adds a, a significant layer of complication it's not complication that families can't figure out mm. they figure it out every day right and it's still beautiful and it's still holy and it's there's still so much good to do um, but there's a lot to know about cultures and, and um, what it takes to raise a you say a third culture child that's a child that isn't doesn't match the culture the culture of either of their parents passports and so that's a different set of complications. They're not quite where you are. They're not quite where they're from. They're a different thing. And and uh, so so doing that sort of research is very, very helpful, mm-hmm. regardless of where you're thinking about international adoptions. Use an agency. Um, there's a lot of great agencies out there. If you're trying to do faith-based adoptions, Bethany is kind of the biggest name in it. Uh, and they do things well, and they've researched it well. Um, but that's kind of where international adoption starts. And we just went down that rabbit hole. We, we sort of assumed Mm -hmm. That's that's where we'd end up because we had friends that had done it. and We'd seen the process work out. Um, You know, I'm not I'm not ashamed to like talk money like international adoption is very expensive. Yes, there's no way around it. It's just very, very expensive. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, uh, but it's a thing to be aware of. Like there's a lot of money involved in the process. Sometimes there's lawyers. There's always international travel involved. Um, There's paperwork and visa issues. And that wasn't a deal breaker for us. We were really trying to figure out this is like a a key thing in my life in general. Is this the right thing for us? Like, is this right? And we went all the way down to the end, like we chose an agency. And for us, I'm not a feelings person. I'm a very much like a a logical order person, but we got to a place where we, all the pieces were in place and we knew how it worked. And we, we were hypothetically ready, except that it didn't feel like the right fit, which is different than saying it's not the right thing to do because that's that's not at all what i'm saying but it was clear for us like this road is not the right fit it wasn't clear for us why it's Mm -hmm. still not clear Mm -hmm. except that i love where we ended up right um but we just knew like when it was time to pull the trigger it just wasn't quite right for us but that didn't change like this like bone deep calling Mm -hmm. for adoption and so we're like okay back to the drawing board because like i said there's three ways to do adoption the second is is domestic private Mm -hmm. which is like you find a local agency uh there's a Ten thousand of them every town has two. um and or you find a lawyer and you do a person to person like where you know a family who is has a, a a pregnant mom who knows that they're trying to do this beautiful and difficult thing of finding a home that will be appropriate for their kid if they don't feel like they're that they're that home um and so domestic private is an option, and so we did the whole thing again, like okay, we found an agency, you have to make a little book. this is such a weird thing. you make. Excuse like my callousness here. A sales pitch for yourself. Mm-hmm. I, we're the Fuller family. We mm-hmm. like to garden. I love surfing. Sure. Look how beautiful we are. Right. Look at this empty bedroom in our house. <laughs> um, you make yes. here's like a who big we are. neon like arrow. <laughs> exactly. We're smiling. Child wanted here. Child Everything's wanted here. great yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you make a book. the the real The real thing is is you're just just you're trying to to convey the nature and character of your family, because in in domestic private adoption the choice belongs to the biological biological mother who is actively choosing uh to find a new home for her child Mm -hmm. which again like beautiful thing difficult thing broken uh it's everything um but for a mom to realize like that she wants something better for her child and and she feels like she might not be able to provide that that's like devastating but also making a choice like that is a little bit beautiful and so uh but the point here is that Because in in domestic-private situations, the mother is making the choice, not the state, which we'll get to in a minute. The mother chooses. Like, this family looks like a good fit for my child. And the mother might say, I want my child to grow up in this family, and that's it. Like, I don't want communication. I don't want further relationship. I just want to be able to to make changes in my life that'll make me healthier and know that this kid is going to be okay. Right. But mother also has the right to say, but I also want continued relationship and I want to be there for birthdays. And sure. mother has rights uh, in, in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And again, that's a complication. Right. This is also a money thing. Like there's,
0: there's oh. money involved. I've heard and, so many stories like, Hey, also pay for my college education or also pay for my hospital bills. That's it. And it just, it really starts to stack up.
1: Yeah. And again, yeah. when you, when you, adoption is complicated there's no way around it right. like if you've heard simple narratives like i saved a child someone is either naive or not telling the whole story like kids are designed by god to be raised in families and when a kid is not raised in their biological family there's a ton of good that can be done mm-hmm. but we're starting from a place that is inherently broken right. it doesn't mean it can't be redeemed everything can be redeemed like sure. again i'm a pastor talk right right, right yeah um but it's, it's not the way it should be. Right. And so you just have to understand like, okay, we're starting with a situation that requires redemption and it's gonna be complicated. Because again, mom needs college, mom needs healthcare, mom needs... To, we want this baby to be healthy and the baby's still in utero and in utero health is inc- incredibly important. Huge. And so it's appropriate if you're trying to say, I care about this baby, we'll do it. Don't I also care about mom and right. don't I also care baby, about baby in utero? Right. And the answers are yes, but also like, well, college bill, that feels complicated. You know yeah. what I'm
0: saying? Yeah. Super quick story about that. Yeah, don't don't forget where you're at. Um, super quick story. So like, as we're going through the process with the, uh, the younger two, um, they, the uh, parents, the bios did not have driver's license. So my wife driving, right. An hour away to go to the court. Finds out like, hey, they're running late. Why are they running late? Well, they're walking. And she was, I don't remember how far along because as we're adopting one, she got pregnant with another, that whole story. Um, <laughs> uh yeah. So so she's like, I'm gonna go pick her up because I don't need her walking in this heat, stroking out whatever else happening, right? Like, so it was very much having that understanding of like, absolutely, like you said, right? I mean, it's how good is your oven that you're baking in? I have it's terrible analogy, but like you want you want that like the perfect temperature is it on the right rack, right? Like horrible analogy again, but I'm just saying like that's it's you know because baking a baby in the oven, but <laughs> um, but a hundred percent importance because yeah, I mean it, it, it's like it could be cigarettes, it could be alcohol, it could be um, just you know water, right? Are they drinking you know good water? Are they doing cokes and red bull and monsters every day? While you can't control all that, it's really good to have that understanding because all of those are like data points or variables, how the, the kid in, in is utero, what is the terminology in? I'll take it in utero, in utero, utero. correct. Okay. So, (laughs) um, it's just an important factor and, and, and I'm sure you're going to share a ton of resources, but the more I've read about it, it, it really describes and talks about that. And it's so interesting because a lot of a lot of the children that they're like, "Oh, is you know, it's not a drug baby because blah blah blah." And I'm like, "Yeah, but the amount of stress that the Absolutely. the mom is going through, that's all real. these
1: things play in and role and it was very eye-opening, mm-hmm. very eye-opening." And again, yeah, you kind of fast-forwarding to where we want to go post like my narrative, um, there's nothing that happens to a baby in utero that doesn't have a lifelong effect. Mm-hmm. Like that's true for us, it's true for the kids that that are my biological kids. Like one of them had a lot of medical complications early in life. That's not like we didn't make bad decisions. Like this is a medical issue, right. and we had to address it. But that, like, very early life experiences where doctors are poking you and you you feel uncomfortable every day, yep. those things uh, they affect you long term. Right. Again, all stuff that can be redeemed, and and we believe that's possible. But also things that that need to be redeemed, and so it's not just like is 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 bio mom on drugs or right. you know um are they getting enough sleep those are obviously factors but it's also like you said stressful situations mm-hmm. uh, those stress hormones can can transfer through the uterine wall and affect right. the way baby's brain develops and uh those things carry with us right. and th- that's a good thing to be aware of both and when we're thinking about taking care of bio mom uh, and also when we're thinking about how to raise these kids who are coming from more challenging situation
0: when, so when when have you experienced or seen from either your folks like that, that have had conversations with you, gone through training whatever, usually when, when is that mom reaching out? Like, is she already, you know, the very beginning three months just found out eight months or in the hospital? Like when, when have you seen an average is it all over the place or is it just a certain, they're like six months in is usually what I've seen. Now they're having that decision because it's real or I'm just curious.
1: It is as varied as like, the individual moms are because it's their it's their choice. Right. And so sometimes it's like these sometimes domestic private adoptions happen like when a baby is born. And like this is a moment of realization for a mom. Sometimes just real talk. Sometimes the adoption isn't final until like I think there's like a 48 hours post birth mm-hmm. where a mom has the right to say, I've made a mistake. Oh yeah. Because kids belong in their biological families. As hard as it is to hear that if you really want a child in your family That's both true and right, that the the kids belong with their biological families. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, sometimes you might have a mom who committed when they found they were pregnant, uh, but 48 hours in, they still have the right. To be clear, once a a parent, in any of these scenarios, once a parent signs over parental rights, that's no longer true. And so once adoption is finalized, there's no way that a a bio parent can take their kid back. Right. Um, right. But there is a window in domestic private legally where mom is allowed to, because again, that is a good and holy thing as challenging as it is for both sides of that. And I've heard stories where people have put money up front 100%. and lost it. Real thing gone. And so again, they, there's a question of if you've done this God bless you. That's a hard road. Yep. And I don't think we have time for this, but some people come into, to this adoption conversation because of the inability to have bio kids and there's a whole nother layer of complication and hurt and and, and difficulty in, in those conversations. Yes. And so I would say, if you're, if you're listening to this and that's your situation where you know, you want to be a parent and biologically, that's just not a possibility for you right now. Um, you got to talk to somebody, you got to get real counseling yep. and you got to deal with that as it is. Um, and then you'll be able to have a, a kind of a more healthy and holistic view of what's next. Because when, if you know you want to be a parent and, and you're kind of struggling with the loss and grief of not being able to do it biologically, then these kind of complicated conversations are going to be like doubly and triply complicated because right. all of these hopes and dreams you have tied up into them. Sure. Um, that, a, that's real stuff. My, my friend, Fran,
0: who came on, um, who's the one that walked across the States and now he's over at Third Planet, his wife um, actually was a guidance counselor for a while and then they had a kiddo. And so she actually has her own podcast, believe it or not. There are many podcasts. And it's based around the Catholic side. Uh, it's very, it's, mm-hmm. that's the religious side. Um, but but losing children, right? From the Catholic perspective, which is very interesting. It's very unique, very, um, very true. So shout out to her and I'll get the information and maybe post it somewhere. So yeah, people great. can, but, but I wanted her to like, come on. And also my wife's experience for exactly what you're just talking about now is that, you know, and that's one of, when I forgot what it's called. It's like a day, too. And this is terrible. I should know this. It's like silver ribbon. So there's something. Yeah, I, do you know I don't know the
1: day, but I know what you mean. Yes,
0: it comes up because it happens and, and people are just not familiar, They're, and which blows my mind because, I mean, we experienced it, you know, seven times or whatever, right? Like, so we were very well versed. Um and, um and the first time never like that hurts the most like and, and it never gets easier after that but hundred percent different conversation and um the, uh, I I think you should have not closure but a sense and understanding prior right like I, I think that's a combination of of conversation like you said I think that's really important
1: yeah. I didn't know that about your surgery. I'm sorry, dude. That's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was like, we tried and then we had loss and then I was, I was overseas and then she had to have surgeries. Yeah. One, she had to have a fallopian tube removed when I was gone. And so it was a whole, yeah, man, it was, it was a roller coaster ride. It's yeah. crazy.
1: That's a lot to go through. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, it's not different than thinking about making any life change when you're in the middle of grief or, you know, like, you don't want to go find a new job two weeks after your parents have passed away. Like you've right. got to deal with this really hard thing in right. order to think about this next really hard thing well. And that, I think that's true in this case uh, as well because, again, we're just, I'm trying to not undersell the complication here. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. all very complicated. Yep. So domestic-private, uh, bio-mom is making choices until rights are signed over, and then that's that. And then uh, you as an adoptive parent are making the rest of the choices. We made the book like hey we're the great family look how cute we are you know we're, this is what we're into um we didn't get a match but we put our book with um with an agency and then my wife got pregnant you know like <laughs> happens all the time this is, it is happens all the time it is such a common story like we know <laughs> listen like i know a pastor i know how pregnancy works <laughs> but here we are <laughs> oh. and so we just put the process on pause we're like hey hold our book agency because like <laughs> We got a baby here. Yes. And our second baby had a lot of medical complication early in life. And uh she's beautiful and like she's doing great now. She's a seventh grader. We love her so much. But uh yeah, really challenging and mysterious medical issues. Like we didn't know what was going on. We're sleeping in the couch every day. Oh. She's got reflux issues, she's got he- all sorts of stuff. Um, but she's doing super well now. But because of that, like we're like, there's no way that we can make another really difficult decision about our family. We got to figure this one out first, and right. so. We put the process on hold, and once again, maybe 18 months later, we have a diagnosis for our daughter, 22Q um, is a, a genetic condition, it's also called DeGeorge. And so if you're familiar, it's really rare, you're not familiar... I- well, it's ironic. I may have heard that. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, but you know, right? Courtney Medical, like she talked yeah. about
0: all kinds of stuff. So it sounds semi-familiar, believe it or not.
1: Well, I was just shouting it out because it's so rare that if somebody knows it, hit me up. We can talk 22Q stuff. There you go. Our kids doing super well. We got, we got some places we like that are giving good care. Um, so we, that put us on pause, trying to figure that out, maybe 18 months until we got a little bit of um, resolution on that. And she's doing a little better at that 18-month point. Uh, and again, same weird feeling for me who's not like a, a feelings-led person. Uh, when it was time to start the process again, we just didn't feel like domestic-private was the right fit for us. And uh, we had a little bit of clarity on why. I don't really want to go into it because I don't want to like yuck somebody's yum. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, it's like do your, do your process. It's a right. beautiful thing. and If it's right. a good fit for you, it's a good fit. Uh, one more thing about domestic private, a lot of time there's two ways it happens through an agency, like how we were describing, mm-hmm. but also this is how person to person adoption works. When your third cousin needs a place to, for a new home for That's kid, gonna, gonna ask uh, you about family right? or like I'm working with a person. Like we have friends who they, they had an employee they were working with who got pregnant unexpectedly. And that person knew they wanted to uh, have their baby adopted. And so domestic private is also this person to person with a lawyer situation. And some folks who are pursuing domestic-private, literally, the, the first step is telling people that you're interested in adoption because you know you get in people's networks and, right. oh, I actually have a person I know who's pregnant and they don't know what to do and they might actually be thinking about this. Right. Um, so it's either through an agency where you're partnering with strangers or it's person-to-person um, where you are familiar with the situation but you want to make a permanent change. Mm-hmm. A little bit different than like, living with your aunt or your cousin, which sure. is essentially informal foster care. Right. Also beautiful. All these things are beautiful. Yes. And all of them are redemptive, and they're all different. And they're all messy. And they're, yes, they're all messy. <laughs> but in the, in the best
0: way, right? Because some of the best paintings are just splatter art, right? Like, I mean, I, you know, I get horrible analogies. I'm terrible. But i just kidding. <laughs> But, like, I, I, I find that, that and, and this is, again, right, Tyler, why I wanted you to, to come on and have the conversation is you get such, like, varying... There's nothing in the middle. And I think we're, we're both, you know, from the experience, it is in the middle. It, it is not like a horrific thing. Don't do it. And it's not a like, hey, it's all roses and, and you know, rainbows, right? It's a, it's an in the middle thing, right? It is beautiful and messy. And I'm glad you brought that up at the very beginning because I think that's imperative. Um, And it's never to deter people away. It's to bring awareness.
1: That's it. It's to bring awareness, to be informed. Yeah. And like we say, clarity is kind. Like you call a thing what it is because you want to know like how it really works and if all you've ever heard is horror stories they're not not true but they're not the whole story right and if all you've ever imagined is like you know the cartoon version where the stork drops off a baby and the baby's so happy and everything's great there's a lot of that but there's also there's more to it right right (sighs) (laughs) sorry save you the edit So, um, so we, we came to a point where it was clear domestic private was not the road we were going to take and then we were stuck. And then the, here's where you get to listen, y'all, I'm a foster. I was a foster parent. <laughs> I was wholly, first of all, we didn't know anything about foster care. What, even what it is, how it works. The only thing we knew is that it's the, the one we weren't going to do. There's <laughs> <It's just> three <laughs> options. One of them for us was not an option. It's the <laughs> one that we did. And so, uh, a second dead end, we knew that domestic private wasn't a good fit for us. And I, I was at this point unwilling to like look foster care in the face because all I knew about it was like the difficulty of it and the horror stories and, you know, the orphan and all that stuff or whatever. Um, you go to a million homes and they're all terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that for me was like, I didn't feel equipped to, to get in that world. Like I wanted a fresh start. This is a very naive way to, to think of it, which I know now I want a fresh start, like a brand new baby who I could just raise as my baby and like the adoption won't even be part of their story, yeah. which is absolutely not how it works regardless of right. which road you take. Like this is part of the story no matter what. That's true. But I was so scared of that at that time that I wasn't open to the idea of foster care. And then I say there's two times I've heard like directly, like a call from God, this call to ministry and then this innate sense that adoption is part of my story. Leslie has a moment where, we're both in a church service, like in a worship service. And we're like, you know, we're spiritual connection and there's songs and we're like trying to, you know, like uh, pay attention to what the Lord's doing in the room or whatever. Yeah. And we say like, listen to the Holy Spirit, which is like, it's a little bit of a mix between like intuition and like, is there some outside sense of the thing God wants to tell me? Right. We're just trying to do all that in church. Right. We're standing next to each other. Like our shoulders are touching. Right. And she hears clearly and concisely like, hey, foster here's the way to go. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how the voice of God works, but like, why couldn't the, the beam be just a little bit wider? Cause I didn't hear it. You know, Like, <laughs> she goes home and she's like, listen, this, this, I had this profound moment in a worship service and I know that foster care is the way that, that wow. not only that they were supposed to go, but also for us, like, this is a thing God is calling us to. And I'm like, well, why didn't God call me? <laughs> I was right there. I was in the room. Literally touching. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Come on. Um, <laughs> And she asked me, my wife is very wise. Uh, She said, listen, don't just, you don't have to say yes. Because this is, if if you're in this conversation, like you have to have two yeses to move forward. Mm -hmm. A yes and a no is a no. Mm -hmm. And she's like, don't just say yes. But like, I want you to be open to the idea for a week. Like go from a hard no, which is where I lived, to like a what if. Mm -hmm. And I did that. And pretty quickly, give me like three days. And I'm like, like i'm wrong about this leslie is right this is in fact the way we're supposed to go wow and i'm like you know, grow up in the deep south i'm like evangelical culture i'm a a a pig-headed man and it was hard enough to realize uh that i had to make a change in direction Mm -hmm. like i was wrong on this issue and leslie was correct i also had to recognize like my stubbornness to to look at the thing put me like in a place where I had to say, "Oh, I was I was wholly wrong here." Like not only did Leslie find the way forward, but also like I missed it. This is like <laughs> this is how repentance works in the church. Is like, oh, there's the thing, I got it wrong. Oh, that's oh. Hum- yeah. Like I'm not humility doesn't come easy to you me. You had the the big cup of swallowing the ego and like <laughs> yes, all that. Um, and again, it comes from this bone deep calling. We knew adoption would be part of our Mm -hmm. story. We were out of other options. She got a clear sense. And then she just said, Hey, stop being an idiot. Like think about this for a minute. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did, I'm like, I have to go tell my wife she was right. And that this is the right way forward for us. And also I'm terrified. Like, just because I knew it was right. Did not mean I felt equipped. In fact, I was like, what, what are we, we're doing this. What are we doing? Like, how is this going to work? And so we started the foster care process, which is, okay, for clarity's sake, if you don't know anything about foster care, there's three ways to adopt. You got your international, which we talked about. Use an agency, look at Hague accredited countries, do your homework on, um, on culture and, and, and making space for culture. You got domestic private, which is either through strangers, through an agency, or it's person to person through a lawyer. And then number three is foster care. The difference, the thing that makes foster care, adoption to foster care, different than domestic private is that in a foster care situation, a biological mother has not made a choice. The state has made a choice mm-hmm. to remove a kid from a biological mother. sometimes a biological father, but like, let's be real. Dads have wholly failed. Like dads are not usually in the conversation when we're talking about foster care, that's a, a wide brush, but it's, it's. I've seen it. Like when we, you know,
0: when you go, when you have to sit in the court case and mm-hmm. like it's 20 of them and you're sitting there waiting and they're all coming up before you. Um, 85 to 90%. In fact, some of that, that 10 to 15% are coming in in prison uniforms.
1: Yeah. And that's it.
0: Yeah. So that, that's, you're right on with that just from literally proven data.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I don't want to be callous. Like there's a lot, this is, we dovetail with issues of poverty. Like a lot of my work as admissions pastors in the, in the world of poverty, I'm not here to just like shame bio parents or, or absent dads. There's a lot to it. And there's a lot to addiction and generational trauma and poverty, but also like dads, there's no dads. Right. And so, um, why am I talking about dads? <laughs> no, no. So we were
0: talking about the uh, to going the other path. So oh, the third, the third the path. Third path yeah. So
1: in, in foster care, a biological mom has not made a choice, but the state has made a choice, saying like, "This home is not a safe environment for a kid." And to be perfectly clear, if you're in in this conversation we're having because you're, you're interested in adoption, foster care is not designed to end in adoption. Foster care is designed to end in reunification Mm -hmm. where a removal happens in order to create safety for a kid. And while the kid is in a safe environment, a foster care environment, um, the, the state's doing all they can to resource a bio parent to fix whatever the presenting issue was that was creating this unsafe environment. So we're talking about sometimes it's parenting classes, it's working on addiction issues. Sometimes it's just poverty issues. Like let's find a, a home that's stable and a roof over your head. Right. Can we get you in, in public housing? Can we talk about job training or, or child care? Uh, and so the state's trying to do everything they can to create a safe environment so they can reunify, which is part of the heartbreak if you step into foster care for adoption you have to know you're in a world that isn't designed to create adoptions right. It does create adoptions right but it's designed to to bring healing and redemption to biological families. And if you know a lot about like the state and how it all works, it works sometimes and it doesn't like it's listen we're talking about can we fix generational issues in a three-month period with a caseworker who has 50 people that they're trying to take care of? Mm. I think we could have a three hour
0: conversation about how the state works. We could, <laughs> or doesn't. <laughs> Anyways, keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so you know, but if you remove the cynicism from it and just mm-hmm. it, just imagine that what the state wants is a biological kid to be raised in their family of origin, that is a good thing, <laughs> right? How to get it done is infinitely complex, and why it wasn't happening infinitely complex. But the state wants reunification, and if the state can't get reunification, their second level is to find another. uh biological family person who can raise the kids. right. Grandmas, aunties, cousins. You got siblings somewhere who are older. Is there any way we can keep you near your family of origin? Because again, like this is how we're designed is to, is to be raised in these families. And so the state works hard to make sure that a kid, if they've been removed from a biological family and they can't go back for whatever reason, that they can still have a connection with them. Right. And so the state is not looking at me, a stranger, and saying, okay, mom can't do it, you do it. Mm-hmm. The state's looking around and saying, is there a grandma, is there an auntie, is there an older sibling, is there someplace, uh, somewhere else in the state or anywhere else where this kid might retain these biological ties and the state will prioritize that for reasons that I think are great. Mm-hmm. Like, does it play out in a great way? No, because it's this is the messiest of all possible systems because it's an unwanted intervention for the sake of safety like that is messy right but if neither of those things work out if reunification doesn't work out and if finding another home that has a biological tie doesn't work out the state looks to foster parents or sometimes domestic private as well uh to make essentially what you call like a stranger to stranger adoption Mm -hmm. and so that was that's how eventually our family got to look the way that it looks so real long story short We went through licensing process. The state does all they can to train you. They do their best. They can't prepare you. Like part of this conversation we're having is just trying to tell you there's a whole world of resources that can move you in a direction towards lifelong preparation, but there's no switch you turn on and know how to raise someone else's kid who's come from a traumatic situation. Right. Like it's going to be messy and you have what it takes because like this is how we're designed, um, but it's going to, it's going to cost some work, uh, and for me, a tremendous amount of personal work in order to do this well, which I was not expecting because mm. I'm a good dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> if I can be a good dad to these two biological kids, why can't I just copy paste? Oh, man. I can just tell you, you can't. Yeah. Like the, the tools that I had became wholly ineffective in this new context. Mm-hmm. And again, like that's where I have to be humble and say, I can either double down on my tools and be not an effective father for these kids coming from different places or i can you know rearrange my tools and find out how to do this new thing well which is exactly what i had to do which is how i got in this world of trauma-informed care and the training and yeah tyler we'll talk
0: about later the biggest eye-opening when i and this is how i met tyler it was through some training um, and some other instances, I think, too, but uh, the the flip triangle. So we'll talk about that yeah. later, but don't don't let us forget to talk about that. That was the, the probably the biggest iota per and the most questions I had during the training.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you see that if you're coming, we'll get to the flip triangle. But essentially, here's a good way to think about how I had to change. Every tool that I had learned from my family, which was healthy for a while and then not healthy. And like what I what I intuited from like how my dad is and my granddad and all that. And also like what I learned just growing up in the deep South and I'm like a, you know, a gen X white kid, like all these things are building my view of parenting. And so I come in and like, I think not this is how I parent, but this is how parenting works. You know, I lack that self-awareness to say, all these things uh, have informed my view of parenting. You know, my 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 faith, my my evangelical culture, all these things have, has, have told me parenting works in X way. And it was, I mean, in all humility, It was effective for my two biological kids. Like it was going well, Mm -hmm. and I was feeling super good about like how dad I was. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm feeling great. I got a blog. I'm talking about
0: it. I'm like, do you have like the
1: coffee mug and the shirt? Like number one world's best dad. I'm like, (laughs) this is no joke. I still do this. So don't don't follow me. I want to take the kids to the store so like kids see like I want to be seen. Like I know that dad. He's got the kids at Walmart. That guy must be something because the societal expectation for a dad is so low. You just show up and they're like, oh, wow. Can't believe dad came to the school play. Doesn't dad have a
0: job? I literally do it for opposite reason. It's an excuse (laughs) for my body now. I, they're like, oh, man, you know, post-retirement. I'm like, yeah, but I'm a dad. So I have the dad bod. I had to have it. I can't just go around with this athletic, muscular body anymore. I have to have the dad bod to match all the children. That's Perfect excuse. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, for Society, for, for, for explaining uh, uh, our body
1: type. If you're watching the video, we look about the same. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's because we're dads. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, I felt great. But what I learned was when we start, after we go through the classes and we start getting placements, uh, all my intuitive tools that were handed to me from the culture and just just the way that I built my understanding of fatherhood, it wasn't bad. It was actually working for me until I started getting kids in my house that are coming from these very different backgrounds and traumatic situations and just, it's not apples and apples. And I didn't know that until they're in my house. And I'm like, okay, yeah, uh, you guys, it's dinner time. Why don't you sit down? And that didn't work. I'm like, y'all sit down. And like, that didn't work. I'm like, sit down or go to timeout, uh, a timeout for a minute time out for an hour time out for your whole life go to your (laughs) room you're in your room for life like you just keep leveling up (laughs) and it's like all of a sudden you're like i'm an idiot the things i'm saying are silly and nothing in, in front of me nothing good is happening and so i had come i have enough humility it i guess the situation brought enough humility to me to say i need something different and so might get back to the story. We got, we get licensed. We get a couple, a couple placements, just a few, you know, young How, kids. how
0: painful was the licensing portion as far as like, did you attend the, was it like the, the same course? I think it's, it's like eight no, hours. It, it's changed uh, a bunch. Three hours, eight, five or six days or something like that, that yeah. kind of thing. Or
1: it, it, it sort of, sort of depends for a listener's sake. It depends on where they are. Okay. The state right. has to train you, mm-hmm. but the way that looks is like very, very, very different. We did Like eight weeks of two-hour classes something something like that and for me uh i liked the knowledge of it like again i'm a heady like i I function from my head and so yeah hearing all this information everything was shocking like oh shoot the state doesn't want me to raise these kids why Mm -hmm. i'm here to raise these kids um so every single class was a revelation and every single class is like disappointing in some ways and exciting in some ways Mm -hmm. and and you're just learning this process you've never known. I'm not a social worker, you know. Like right. I'm a pastor or whatever. I'm a youth pastor, and so, uh, but I did appreciate it. Like I appreciated this huge like passing of information. For some people, it's it's unbelievably frustrating. Some people like it's the bar that causes them to say this isn't right.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. So you know, one of the the more eye opening things that I I heard and I could I could see someone getting deterred was like they, they threw out a number and it was something along the lines of like 80, 80% of children in care, state care, um, have had either some kind of psychotropic drug, like, you yeah. know, whether that was, um, medically prescribed or, or inadvertently or something along those lines and, or been abused, you yeah. know, sexually abused and, or physically abused. Yeah. And you're like, wow. So not only, like you said, am I taking into consideration the culture um, coming from a different family origin, just in general, like whether that's international or national, uh, potentially religious, yeah, you know, yeah. depending on how old they are. Now I'm like, holy cow, they're they're on some kind of medication that's actually chemically affecting their brain. Yeah. And they went along the lines of talking about how there was some mixed diagnosis where they mm-hmm. were trying to play with the milligrams of the the respective drug and how that was like really messing with the child's mind and how like parents were forgetting and that drop can actually really truly affect the children. And so like, and you're hearing about these horror stories, like, holy, holy cow, right? Yeah. Like that was a, that was a huge eye-opener. So while there's, like you said, a lot of the state information about how they try to reintegrate, it was interesting to hear about the child's psychological, mm-hmm. uh, mental, and and sort of that physical health.
1: Yeah. You know? No, I, I want to jump in on that too, because, well, first of all, you hear all sorts of stories about kids in foster care, you know, like they're burning down the house, they're breaking the TV, they're... You know, juvenile delinquents, they're in jail. they the pipeline from foster care to jail is like a wholly, a real thing. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I want to say clearly, like a kid does not get in foster care by any fault of their own. Like, I don't want to shame parents, but like it is a parent's fault. Like mm-hmm. that the responsibility for raising a kid is not on a kid. Regardless, that kid's 15, 16, I don't care. Like that's a right. child. And so it's foolish to not recognize there are some very, very challenging behaviors in very, very challenging backgrounds. But I'd say like a mindset, my mindset shift that's required is to say like, I'm not, I'm here for a kid who is in a situation from no fault of their own. They did right. not choose the biological family they, that they grew up in. They didn't choose drug exposure. They didn't choose abuse. They didn't choose abandonment. They didn't choose neglect. And they are, they might be reacting to all those things, mm-hmm. and the way they're reacting is unbelievably challenging mm-hmm. and we know we're dads like we know it's counterproductive for them mm-hmm. but we also as dads have to we have to be the adult in the situation and say this is still a child and now my job is to take this child who has more forming to be done and more redemption and and to to help bring that mm-hmm. uh be, it's 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 unfair to say like you know that a kid from a difficult situation uh you know it's unfair to place the burden of their situation on them because it's it's the they were placed there it. like it's not it's not a decision they made, right. and so that's where like we this is where like this is justice talk like this pushes my buttons mm-hmm. like somebody's got to be the adult that's us mm-hmm. it's not them and so that's why we have to grow in our understanding and that's why we step up to the plate yep. and now I'm a preacher that's why we <laughs> step up to the plate and yep. do this thing because yep. it it's on us to protect these kids right and, and even though that's an incredibly challenging call. If it's not us, it's who's it gonna be? Right. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, you hear all this in class, and they're gonna tell you like, well, if a kid is is causing physical physical destruction, here's who you call. And if you, you know, if you need a Baker Act, here's who you call. And you're like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden I have to be an expert in all of these. Like, how does police work? How does medical? How all these medical interventions work? Mm-hmm. How does daycare work? How does Medicare work? Or you know, like things I had no context for. Mm-hmm. I have to start becoming an expert in all of those because that's about to be the world I live in. Mm-hmm. But again, that's the call for me to pick up that and run with it because I'm gonna. I'm saying that we're taking responsibility for these kids that aren't ours because somebody has to, right. and they're beautiful and they're right. wonderful and like there is redemption to be had if somebody can can clear a path. Right. And so yeah, the classes are terrifying. And you, <laughs> I mean, it's
0: like anything else. I mean, you have to, it's both, it's all sides, right? You have to go, Hey, like here, here again, to me, being aware mm-hmm. and being informed and understanding the resources out there and the education that I might have to do. Right. So while I am going to have the joy and the bond and love You know, I, I do, like you just said earlier, I have to step up to the plate and take some time and really, you know, inform myself, okay, if there's these circumstances and I'm not equipped, Mm -hmm. how do I better either equip myself internally from a reading perspective or externally through either
1: courses or
0: outside help? Like that's, that's the responsibility of the adult. Like you just said, becoming the adult in the situation.
1: Yeah. Like you served in the military, you know, like they're, they're telling you before you, before you sign up. They're going to shoot guns at you. Like we're going to put you in a situation (laughs) where people want to kill you. You can either say, no, thank you. That's what I said. I didn't serve. (laughs) Or you can do what you did say, okay, that's a hard thing. And it's an important thing. And I'm going to learn how to do it well. And they're going to put me in a situation that is broken by every account. Like military doesn't intervene in beautiful situations. They're going to put me in a situation that's broken and I'm going to do everything that I know. And I'm going to learn how to do it the best way possible because it's, it's a good and holy thing to do. Right it's the same sort of call where it's like uh, no kid is in a conversation about foster care for a good reason. It's always there, the, the conversation exists only for broken reasons. Right. And so we step in and say, here I am. I'm starting from a place of brokenness. What is it going to require of me to, to move myself and this family forward uh, into a place that looks beautiful and redemptive? If
0: you're listening to this on a podcast medium, please find part two in the episode list.